Welcome to the Beck and Siri Show. And here at Team Series Tri Club, it's not just about swim, bike, run. It's about who you become. On our show, we don't just talk to you about swimming, cycling, and running. We talk about mindset. We talk about fearless authenticity and being your very best self. Hey there, Cam here from Team Sirius Tri Club. This week on the podcast, we've got Siri's recent interview with Triathlete Magazine in Boulder, where she talks about, among other things, how to crack Kona, training after the age of 40, her favorite recovery method, and how Tony Robbins became her mentor and lifesaver. To learn more, head over to triathlete.com or to join us here at the club, go to www.teamseriestriclub.com. Hello and welcome to Triathlete Magazine's Facebook Live show here in Boulder, Colorado. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry and I am joined today by the superstar triathlon coach, the one and only Suri Lindley. Welcome Suri. Thank you so much for having me. That's quite a nice intro. So thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I've been really looking forward to spending this time with you all. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, for those of you who don't know Siri's background, we'll fill you in a little bit before we get started. Uh, Siri is a former ITU World Champion, uh, 2001, is that right? Yes. Ooh. And uh, a multiple World Cup, ITU World Cup winner. Yes. Yeah. And she's also a USAT Hall of Famer. So uh, yeah, quite the, quite the resume. But really, you say, I've heard you say before that you're, uh, you didn't really find your true calling in life until you started coaching. Absolutely, that's that's true. I feel like my time as an athlete, and it was quite a journey. I, I began triathlon in 23. I didn't know how to swim like at the age of 23. Didn't know how to swim. So I had a lofty goal for someone that had really no ability or talent. Um, but everything I went through, I failed so many times, and I learned so much through those failures. And eventually making it to the top um, I feel like all I wanted to do at that point was to help other athletes that had a similar dream, but also had similar challenges of self-doubt, fear, anxiety, help those athletes take on their dream and believe that anything is possible because basically I was living proof. Right. And you coach a number of age group athletes, but you're also, you also have a terrific squad of pro athletes, a lot of them based here in Boulder. Um, I guess some of your most notable athletes are Marinda Carfrey, three-time Ironman World Champion. And uh, Leanne McCabe, who uh, I guess it was 2012 when she won both the Ironman World Championship title and the 70.3 uh, World Championship title. So that's uh, you've got quite a, a good stable of athletes. And pardon the pun, stable horses. I know yeah. we'll, we'll get to you and your horses at some point too. Um, but before we get stuck into all the Q and A's, we've had a ton of questions from all of our uh, readers and our audience. We've had a ton of questions, but before we get stuck into those, we do want to tell you a little bit about the uh, giveaway we have today. Um, so one of our lucky readers will, uh, Terrific Magazine has partnered with Jack Rabbit, and uh, one of our lucky viewers today from today's show will be, uh, can win this goodie bag, which contains uh, some sunglasses, uh, 24 goo roctane gels, uh, there's a bunch of socks in here, there's some cool stuff. Uh, you, go, you need to go over to uh, triathlete.com forward slash live and enter your details uh, on that webpage by midnight tonight uh, to, to be in with a chance to uh, win. And, uh, but now we'll get stuck into the questions. I'm going to leave you here on your own, if that's okay. Of course. And I'll, uh, throw I may try a little, but I'll be okay. But let's start off with, uh, before, I, before I disappear, let's start off with a good question for you, which is, how does an athlete know when uh, a coach is the right fit for them? I love that question. Oh, okay. That's a great question. Um, basically, for me, I think that your values have to align. What matters to you uh, must be something that matters to the coach. And actually, I'm going to look at it from a coach's perspective. Um, I am always going to choose to work with athletes that share uh, the same vision, that this sport is a tremendous opportunity to find out what you're made of, to find out who you are and, and what you want to create in your life and what you want to create in this world. Um, athletes that, that own it, they own the good, they own the bad, they're willing to learn, um, and athletes that aren't afraid to fail. Um, because I feel like if you are not willing to risk failure, then you're not willing to succeed because you can't succeed without risking failure. So having those same values is very important to me. Appreciation, gratitude, passion, work ethic, integrity, um, all these things are super important to me. So make sure you uh, do some work uh, looking into coaches that you may want to work with, but also understand that um, 
a lot of the best coaches and there are great coaches everywhere. Every coach is doing an amazing thing. But um, I know with me, um, it's as important for me to choose the athlete as it is an athlete choosing me. Um, because you really do want someone that's going to be able to help you fill in the cracks of what's missing, help strengthen your weaknesses and make them strengths, but also help you um, capitalize on the weapons that you already have um, and give you support, but not too much support. Because for me, it's all about we all as athletes um, need to know that we need to ask for what we need to be all that we want to be. So not being afraid to ask your coach for what you need, um, but also being able to trust 1 million percent in what they're telling you is crucially important because you follow that path and that path alone, you can't be listening to 10 different people. It's you choose one path and go within a million percent. Awesome. So you'll know your very positive approach when you're working with your athletes. And how can, uh, one of the best questions I've seen so far today is, how can relentless positivity help athletes and can it ever hurt them? I think relentless positivity, you cannot go wrong. Um, it's funny because I've had a lot of athletes that have come from a different perspective and they in the beginning believe that, oh my God, if I'm happy, if I'm positive, if I um, and in, am enthusiastic or if I am always trying to look on the bright side or find the gift, like that's going to make me weak. And I would say to them, no, that is what is keeping you from being your very best because if you think of it this way, like where focus goes, energy flows. If you want to focus on all the problems in your life, you're going to find more problems because we will find what we're looking for. Um, if you want to focus on everything that you have, not everything that you don't have, then you're going to be able to capitalize on that and use that adrenaline, use that positivity, use that personal power to achieve that much more. So if where focus goes, energy flows, um, the more negative you are, the more negative you're going to get. And my belief is, and you can all think of this, like what are your patterns of thought on a daily basis? Are you thinking about what you have or what you don't have? Are you thinking about what you don't want to have happen or what you fear? Or are you focusing on what you want or what you want to create in your life or what you love? Um, are you focused on things that you have no control over, like other competitors and your training partners and what everyone else is doing in the race? Or are you focusing on what you have all the control over? And that is your experience, your effort, your attitude, what you do in every moment. And my major belief is that when we are fully present in the moment with ourselves, literally you know being our best selves in every moment and focusing on what we have what we want to create and what we have control over that's when we're most powerful and that absolutely like absolutely one million percent will lead to better performances than being negative and focusing on everything that's wrong your problems and your competitors Awesome. Judy Grimes asks us, hey Siri, how do you balance strength training with workouts during the season? So for, for us, uh, the majority of our strength training is being done sports specifically, meaning in the pool we're using the band, we're using paddles, we're using towels, we're using, um, you know, we're doing sessions that are really working on building your strength on the swim while you're swimming. Swim cords we will often use. Um, biking, we'll do you know tons of hills and strength work on the bike. That's a way of building strength in the position you're going to be racing in. Building strength while you're doing the sport you want to get strong in. Running, same things with hills or with longer efforts where you have to hold a super strong pace. Um, Basically, we will do gym work, like strength training in the gym, but during the season, most of it is mobility work, um, just making sure that everything's firing and keeping your body healthy. But I feel like there's so many injuries that come when you've been training hard all day and then you take it to the gym and it's time to go do your weight training session. And if you don't have that perfect form and you do something a little off in a bad position, that could give you an injury that is just not, is not ever something that we want to welcome into our training plan. 
So uh, Becca Kawoka asks, if an advanced athlete has a weakness, example, like the swim, would you advise doing a four to six week block focusing on that weak element and prioritizing that discipline? Absolutely. And actually, I'm kind of giggling because if you ask any of my athletes, the ones that came where the swim was their weakness, um, we do a massive swim block. I mean, just like I mentioned earlier, I was 23 years old and I wanted to become great in this sport. And I wanted to actually, my dream was to be the best in the world. And as we know, at that level, I mean, these athletes are incredible. There's former Olympic swimmers and bikers and runners. Like, it was a crazy goal to have. But what I did in order to make that happen over a period of eight years is I swam more than you could ever imagine. I mean, I was doing like 80 to 100,000 meters a week um, for months at a time. And I felt like that's what it took. I needed to respect the swimmers that were out there. I needed to respect that they had been training their butts off year after year after year, doing hundreds of thousands of meters. And you absolutely have to train your weakness. There's no, I mean, you can avoid it and just try and get through the swim in your races, but it's going to affect your bike. It's going to affect your run. Um, and to me, I mean, this whole process of doing triathlon is being the best that you can be. And I think that if that was all of our focus, not winning or making a team or this or that, if our focus was to be the best that you can be every day, to be better than you were the day before, wouldn't that include wanting to become proficient in the things that you're not or wanting to become strong in the things where you're weak? Um, so for me, swim block, absolutely 1 million percent, not just four weeks or six weeks, but it will be a constant focus. If you're someone that doesn't feel like swimming because you're not good at it, I'll have you swim probably more than everyone else because what we don't want, we usually need the most. And that fitness also, the aerobic fitness that you get from swimming, it's not like it just works for the swim. That aerobic fitness will translate to the bike. It will translate to the run. So while you're focusing on your swim, you're also giving yourself an amazing engine to carry into the bike and run as well. So we have a bike specific question now. Uh, many coaches believe in the 90, 90 plus cadence, but I know 90 RPM plus cadence, but I noticed you like your athletes to push a higher gear at a lower, lower cadence. Please could you explain why? And that's from Analia Cargo Voss. Analia, great question. Um, yes, I am a big believer in the lower cadences. Using more of the strength, this sport you know, when you're training hard, you are developing such great strength. And I'll often see like some some really powerful men or women with big, huge muscles, and they're spinning at like 100 cadence because that's what they see people in the Tour de France doing and professional cyclists. And that's great if you're just cycling. But if you're running off the bike, like we're talking about triathlon, your run is not just a run, it's a run off the bike. And when we're pushing a bigger gear, at a lower cadence, you're gonna be, you're gonna have a, a lower heart rate, number one. And number two, you're using different muscles. So when it's time to get off and run, and my my ideal cadence on the run is 100 cadence, basically 100 right foot strikes per minute. Now, say you're doing an Ironman and you've been spinning at 95 to 100 for 180K, and then it's time to get off and run, ultimately holding 100 cadence, like you have absolutely overused those fast twitch fibers, whatever it is, like your body wants a change, your body wants a rhythm change, but not just that, I would rather be using the strength that we've built up, that we have in our legs, and have a lower heart rate all throughout the 180K so that when it's time to run, not only are we ready, and it's actually gonna feel like such a relief to go right into 100 cadence on the run, but you're also gonna have so much more aerobically left because you will have held a, a lower heart rate on the bike. So for me, um, and I kind of learned this um, haphazardly, you know, as an athlete, I'd be racing World Cup races and I won a lot of races. I won 13 races, but I was one out there holding 76 cadence while everyone was like spinning. And everyone was telling me like, God, you got to like, if you could just change your cadence, you're going to be so much better. But I also was running faster than anyone else. So I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not going to listen to everyone telling me that I'm doing it wrong. I'm going to listen to my performance. And that is that I feel 
amazing getting off the bike and starting to run. So why would I change it? It's working for me and it won races. Awesome. So we have a question from Jenna Norman Rings who asks, what is the biggest change you have made for athletes that become new moms? Like, uh, like really, she's talked about her bike getting better since having Izzy. Why do you think that is? Um, I believe every athlete is totally unique. I have these philosophies that I definitely stand true to. Um, but I also am very aware that the single most important thing is looking at each athlete, not just the athlete and what their weaknesses and strengths are, but looking at where, where they are in their lives, um, what's happening, how are their stress levels, how's their family life, and building upon that. And that can create, I mean, if you look at both my two Ironman world champions are Rennie and Leanne Cave in 2012. And I train them completely different. The philosophies stayed the same, the lower cadence on the bike and the 100 cadence on the run, but how I train them, completely different because they're two unique individuals. So I think being able to truly focus on the individual and figure out what they need. Oftentimes, if an athlete comes to me and they've been doing the same kind of work for like you know five years and they're not getting the results they want, Sometimes it takes just turning everything on its head. Maybe it's someone has done so much aerobic, long aerobic work and they just have no speed and no, you know, they haven't brought their threshold up because they've done no other work but just the long aerobic work. So I'll put them in a big, you know, speed block and threshold block where we're doing things totally different that not only is waking up systems inside of them that have been asleep for a long time but it's also giving them that freshness that hunger that that excitement about doing something different um so i think i hope i've answered this question properly but it's taking each individual when Rini got pregnant um i'll never forget i said to her we're taking this year off for you to be pregnant be a pregnant woman and enjoy the birth of Izzy and, and enjoy being a mom and don't worry like no we're not going to be training up until a week before you give birth like we're not going to do that we want you to have a healthy baby I want you to remember experiencing pregnancy and experiencing the first you know six to eight months with your daughter like fully present and um, so many people, because Rennie got, you know, quite large. Sorry, Rennie, but you kind of did. You were quite large. And she looked amazing. And everybody was like, oh, she's done. She's done. But she and I both knew because we have this trust in one another. I can throw something like this out to her, and she will just trust with all her heart that what I'm talking about makes sense. And when it was time to come back, she was so ready, so ready to get back into it and take it on differently now being Izzy's mom rather than Miranda Carfright. Like it was a clean slate. Um, so uh, just taking the unique individual and the circumstances and being able to have the confidence as a coach uh, to be creative and do what feels right and trust your instincts really. So biking has really come on this past yeah. year. She's uh, putting in some good bike spits. It's, it's impressive to see her coming back like that. Yeah, amazing. And we did started doing things really differently when she came back from pregnancy because, of course, you're not going to come back after having pretty much a year off, giving birth, having a child. Life is different. You have many more responsibilities. It's like, what can we do now to build you up in a way that's not going to kill you, not going to injure you, leave you hungry, leave you wanting more, but build up that strength and that power. And I think also that women, you know, once you have a baby, I feel like it does kind of give you some superpowers. You know, I, I don't know, I haven't had one, but I think it would hurt pretty much. So there's no pain like that. So I feel like you actually increase your pain threshold by going through that and you're open to taking on so much more. Yeah, I remember after the birth of uh, her son, Rachel Joy said to me, well, that was nothing. So, sorry, Iron Man is nothing compared to that. So uh, they, that put it in context for me. Absolutely. Um, Meg Tandy asks, uh, how do you recommend an athlete breaks through the fear of the unknown uh, to put it all on the line on race day? And she's thinking mostly of short race distances like sprint tries. So amazing question. Um, I talk a lot about stuff like that in my book, which we'll talk about later. But um, 
Like fear is the one thing that will hold you back from everything in your life, from those results that you dream of having, from the relationship you dream of having, from the joy in your life that you dream of happening, of having, like fear is what gets in the way. And fear is something like, for me, what I learned is that you need to like dance with your fears. Anything great um, is, is scary, you know, it's, but to me, it's like the universe is like calling you and saying, take this on. This is going to take you to your freaking promised land. Like take this on. It's like tempting you to do it. And you need to, because when you're afraid, but you do it anyway, that's like basically the definition of courage. We all have courage but it's making the decision to back yourself, making the decision to say, you know what, I'm gonna go for it. And if I fall, no matter what, I will be so proud of myself for, for taking the plunge, number one. And most of the time, when you step out of your comfort zone and you're afraid, but you do it anyway, all the greatest things in your life happen over there, outside of your comfort zone. Have faith in that. And if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, trust me, the confidence you get, the respect for yourself, um, and what you learn is worth so much more than sitting in the corner, just being afraid and not doing it. Like really, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is, you know, you might not finish the race, you know, or you may not make the cutoff time. So what, guess what, that is gonna absolutely like, like make you even more hungry to learn from what happened on that day, fix the things or strengthen the things that maybe weren't so strong and get even more excited to do things a little bit differently from what you learned so that the next time you cross that line or you make that cutoff. So, but there is nothing, I mean, you can live a, a fine life, you know, if you choose not to be afraid and not step into your fear and, and do it anyway. Um, but if you really want to live this life that I so believe we were put on this earth to do, you need to get out of your comfort zone. And what you'll find is that every time you get out of your comfort zone, your comfort zone becomes actually a little smaller and you take on more and more. And if you're just starting with this, if this sounds so new to you, the way I started is I said, every day I'm going to do one thing that scares me, just one thing. And at first that meant, God, like leaving my dorm room without anywhere to go, like not going to a class or not going to a practice, but just leaving my dorm room and my God, I might come across people and I'll have to talk to them. But it started there. And then it started obviously where I am now. I mean, I speak, I was a, a mute. I didn't talk when I was between the ages of four and six, I didn't say a word, I was so terrified. And I now, it's crazy, like I speak at Tony Robbins events and there are 15,000 people. But you go out there and the fact that I'm doing that, like that is terrifying. Um, but another thing that has helped me with that fear, and I've actually never really felt afraid, which is so bizarre, is that it's not about me in that moment. In that moment, it's about what can I give to these people? How can I serve? these amazing people and give them something that's going to inspire them or light them up or, or have them think and, and hopefully change their lives. So for you going into that race, what about if you thought I'm doing this race to show every other young woman or my daughter or my son that you can be afraid, but you can take something on. And when you do it, you're an example of what it means to be courageous, to be brave and to be someone that can truly inspire thousands of others, because when it's not about you and it's about others, uh, the fear seems to slide away. And what is your biggest regret in this book? That's a question from Rebecca Pete. Is it? <laughs> my biggest regret? Um, that's a question from my wife. Um, I love you, Beck. That's challenging. You know, I don't have a single regret because everything that I went through, the good, the bad, the fabulous, the, the heartbreaking led me to exactly where I am today. And I wouldn't change a thing because I needed, you know, choking at the Olympic trials in 2000. I completely choked because I had made 
making the Olympic team the be all end all. It was winning and making the team or life just didn't matter. And that was craziness. And so at the start of the race, when right away I lost the front pack and suddenly it's like, this wasn't gonna like, basically let me step back because for 365 days going into the Olympic trials, I visualized the perfect race from start to finish, every single thing going perfectly until I cross the line, Siri Lindley makes the US Olympic team, 365 days. That day, the gun goes off, I dive in the water, I get elbowed in the face, pushed under the water, the pack is way ahead of me. I hadn't rehearsed that. I had no plan for anything going wrong. And it was crazy. And that's one of the biggest things I tell my athletes. If you're going to visualize, which is very, very powerful, visualize things going great, but also visualize things going wrong and see yourself being calm, being composed and overcoming whatever that challenge is and still coming out the other side and having the best race you can. You've got to see things going wrong and you solving the problem and coming out having an awesome day. I didn't do that big lesson that I learned. But the other major gift that came from that, and I was still an alternate, so that was, I, I should say, I was an alternate, that was great, but uh, it wasn't what I wanted. Um, but the biggest gift was that rather than, and this goes back to our patterns of thought, rather than thinking, oh my God, I failed, I have nothing, I didn't make it, I'm a failure, I started thinking about, my God, you know, six years ago, I didn't even know how to swim. I was a 23 year old with big dreams. I have come so far, I'm racing pro. I was in a position to make the Olympic team. I was ranked number two in the world or number two for the US. Like I've gotten myself so far, I, my God, I'm so grateful for my mental strength. I'm so grateful for the ability for all the hard work I put in. And I started focusing on what I had and all how far I had come and I started, when I started bringing all this stuff up, I felt so grateful. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm so grateful that I've come this far, I've been able to do this. And I started feeling so desperate to want to show, so when I say this, whatever you believe in, God, the universe, whatever, but I thought to myself, I am so desperate to show God how thankful I am for everything that I have that has brought me to this point. And I thought the best thing that I can do to show my gratitude is to use everything I have inside of me to the fullest every day in training, every day in the race. I'm just going to use everything I have inside of me, lay it all out there. And that is my way of saying thank you. And I tell you what, after that, I started winning. Change of focus, change of what things meant, um, changing, you know, the whole kind of reason why I was doing what I was doing and it changed everything for me. Okay, Adam Cuppy asks, other than traditional performance metrics, are there any leading life indicators that you encourage yourself or your trainees, your athletes to track that indirectly impact performance? Leading life indicators. I think I understand what you're saying. Um, I am very aware of how people are treating others. I think that when we are overtired, when we're working too hard, when we're not happy, when we're on the, not on the right track, it's really hard to control our behaviors around the people that we love and care about. Um, I'm also being very aware of where people's mindsets are. Um, I know when you're looking, when an athlete says, I was in the race, I just couldn't get focused and I was so negative. Um, one of the first questions I ask is, well, Tell me about your hydration and your nutrition. What were you eating? Were you getting enough calories? Were you hydrated enough? Did you have enough electrolyte? Because the first thing your body will do when you're low on either your hydration or your fuel is you're gonna get unfocused and you're gonna get negative because your performance is gonna, it's gonna start hurting more, performance is gonna drop. So those um, life indicators and your ability to handle stress. You know, I can have, an athlete uh, show up at training and I know that they're going through something hard in their lives and I can take one look at them and know that them training today is just gonna make everything worse because life stress 
is the exact same stress as physical training stress. And you have to keep that in mind, not only as an athlete, if you don't have a coach, but we as coaches really need to pay attention to that. And if life stress is high, you need to adjust the type of training that you're giving someone. And, um, you know, it makes me think, I, re I remember with one coach, I had someone that was going through like the hardest time in her entire life, like really struggling. And uh, the coach gave her a 4K straight in the pool. And I was thinking to myself, no, please like give her something like some 25s and some 50s and some, you know, different drills and keep her like, so that she can get her mind off of what was going on. And so being aware of those things can make such a big difference. You don't want to add stress where there already is so much. I hope that I hope that answered it. Yeah, absolutely. Stephen Collins asks, if the goal is to finish Ironman 13 hours, how much training would you suggest in terms of hours per week of swim, bike, run? So this is where some of you are going to be like, she's driving me insane. Because again, I would need to know about your life. I would need to know about your work, about your responsibilities at home. I would need to know your weekly schedule so that I could truly create basically the perfect recipe for you. Um, so I really can't answer that question without knowing you more. If you want to write me and give me all those details, then I can absolutely give you an answer. Jason Sturgis asks, uh, any suggestions on Xterra training? Awesome. I love Xterra. Um, I coached for a while um, an amazing Xterra athlete, Renata Butcher, and uh, she's from Switzerland. And so much of the training was done like triathlon training, but obviously you want to be building your confidence and building your strength out on the trails because, you know, that is going to determine your performance on the bike is how confident you are on the single track and all of that. So, you want to make sure that you are getting enough experience with where you're going to be racing, but really nothing else changes um, as far as the type of workouts you're going to do and the amount of training you're going to do, but you need to get out on the course. Definitely build up that confidence. So we've had a lot of uh, pro athletes on in recent weeks, and the question that they all seem to get is how do they crack Kona? And as a coach who has obviously cracked Kona with some of your athletes a number of times, how do you answer that question? Kona is very mental. Um, Kona is also like no other race out there. Um, it's my favorite race in the whole wide world because of the challenges it presents for everyone. Um, going back to that um, <coughs> question about relentless positivity, um, which really has nothing to do with this, but I don't know, it's just coming up in my brain, is the more good moments that you can create in Kona, the more you can use that and the more that you can be okay with knowing that this will be the hardest race you've ever done in your life. This will, you are going to be challenged. You are not going to feel good. You are not going to feel fresh as a daisy. You are going to be hot. You are going to be tired. You are going to be pushed beyond anything you've ever been pushed through before. So be ready for that and be okay with that. It's going to be the hardest race of your life. So you need to train for that, not just physically, but mentally. And the biggest thing, I mean, it's all, this is where having a coach, I think is so, so important. Managing your training. You are going to have to dig deeper than you have ever dug before in Kona. So the last thing you want to be do, doing in the last month or two months is digging deeper than you ever have before in your training, because you will want to save for that precious day. You, I want to know mentally that my athlete, when forced to inevitably, is going to be able to dig deeper than they ever have before. I don't want to have my athletes work so hard, so maxed out, that when they reach that point where they have to go dig deeper than ever before that they just have nothing left. So the timing of your training and arriving at the start line healthy, happy, hate to say it, but happy, not, not necessarily like, oh, life is amazing in every aspect, but happy with the work you've done, the training you've done, your energy is good, you're healthy. Um, those are the keys. 
Um, and truly, um, I, as a coach, will set my athletes up. I will create an environment in training that is going to present them with nearly everything they will get in Kona so that it's not the first time they're seeing it. And um, I can't share all those things, but that's pretty important too. So prepare yourself mentally, be, be ready, embrace the fact that this is the hardest race in the world and how amazing, not only that you've qualified and you're going, but that you have the opportunity to truly see just how tough you can be, how smart you can be with your fueling, hydration, calories, salt, so incredibly important. If you are someone that worries about eating too many calories, and I know there's a lot of us out there that worry about that, that cannot be a worry because if you choose to deny your body what it needs in Kona, it is going to say, sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to, I can't give this to you if you're not going to give me what I need. Okay, Jessica Lee asks, any suggestions on how to change your training after age 40? <clears throat> uh, listen to your body. And um, I don't think that, you know, with some people it doesn't have to change at all, but listen to your body. And oftentimes, like what we need, our dietary requirements change as we get older. And especially in the world today, you know, there's so many preservatives and yucky stuff that's going into our food and it starts to take a toll. You know, the more we've been around, it takes a toll. So really trying to, eat clean, um, you know, as few preservatives as possible, eat organic if you can. I know it's more expensive, but my God, the way you feel is going to be so much better. My wife is, is actually an absolute expert on this. And, and I'm so grateful for her because I just turned 50 this year and I feel like I'm about 25. And a lot of it is because I know what to give my body to keep me feeling like a 25 year old. So Training doesn't necessarily have to change. If your responsibilities in life increase and your stress increases, then never, actually, let me say this, never get stuck. Um, say you followed a certain plan that led to your greatest success. And that was when you were 32 years old. That does not mean that here at 40, you decide to do that same exact plan because that led to your success that that's going to work for you. Life changes. We are different. Our lives are different. Our responsibilities are different. You always have to be creating something new. And as a coach, like, I mean, every single day I'm asking my athletes to step up and learn and grow and, and, you know, step up, create all new standards and become better. Like I expect the exact same thing for myself. I expect to grow. I expect to learn. I expect to be you know, finding better ways of doing things. And we all need to do that because one thing that worked, you know, five years ago, even a year ago, may not work this year because life is different, you're different. Stay on top of it, keep your finger on the pulse at all times and keep creating. That's how you're always gonna get better. Jenna Norman Rings asks, what is your favorite recovery method? My favorite recovery method is, uh, I think, when we recover with our family, you know, those people that support us every single day on this path that is, can be very self-centered, like go out for, you know, a run with your baby in the stroller, or take your wife on an easy bike ride around the neighborhood, or go to the beach and go for a swim, you know, flushing out the body, but most importantly, taking care of the people that are such an incredible support to you. I believe that even if you were, had a recovery day and you couldn't flush out your legs doing a swim, a bike, or a, you know, a shuffle, it's far more powerful, far more effective to take care of your loved ones, to give yourself to them, be present with them, you know, show them your gratitude, appreciate them, love them, just be present. That will not only fill their hearts, and light up their soul, but it is going to fill you with so much great feeling that that is the best recovery in the world. Bruce Mike asks, I'm on my 15th full distance triathlon and I'm struggling to find the excitement. Any suggestions on how to get re-energized? Yes, change your focus, change uh, the meaning you give things. This is, uh, Tony Robbins has been my greatest mentor in my life and it's as simple truly as change what you're focusing on 
change the meaning that you give things. If in the beginning, the meaning of you wanting to do triathlon was to prove that you could, um, great, that's awesome. It led to you doing 15, 15 races. That's incredible, way to go. But now what is the, give it a new meaning and it will re-energize you. What if now it's about um, uh, showing thanks to your wife or to your mom or to your dad and saying, I'm gonna do my next five races. I'm gonna go somewhere that they've dreamt of going their whole lives. I'm gonna make this about them and being able to show them that together we can experience this that has brought me so much. Or maybe your new meaning is, I'm gonna keep doing this so that I can inspire young kids to get out there and get active and follow their dreams and not be afraid and go out and, and do what they can through sport to become their best selves. The minute you change what it means to you, you will have a different focus and that will re-energize you. It may be like for me, what changed everything for me, I went from having to make a paycheck and make the team and, and be in the top 10 and do this and do that and all these things to saying, I want to celebrate all the gifts that I've been so blessed with. A, a strong mind and a two arms and two legs and a strong heart and the ability and the opportunity to do what I love. I want to celebrate that and show my gratitude. Changed everything for me. Change your focus, change your meaning, it will change everything. And most importantly, what I said before, you know, if you, when we appreciate um, another Tony thing, and uh, he's just says some amazing things, but change your expectation for appreciation and see your world change. Like getting rid of expectation and instead appreciating, which is exactly what I did as an athlete, it changed my entire world. Um, so think about that along the way. But um, at my age and where I am in my life, nothing brings me more satisfaction, more pride, more joy, than giving to others and, and thinking outside of myself. So if there's a way to incorporate that, I'm sure that will give you even more fire than you've ever felt before. So tell us how you got involved with Tony Robbins and your work with him. Um, he, when I was 20 years old, um, I was going to Brown University, a great university, Ivy League, um, but I was absolutely like, overcome with fear and anxiety to the point that I had an insane case of OCD that was debilitating. It made me want to die. I didn't want to stick around. I mean, I literally was terrified in my own skin. And I walked through the library, I was walking through the library one night and I was truly like trying to think of ways that I could just end it. And there was a book called The Unlimited Power and I grabbed it because I was just kind of desperate for any kind of power in my life. And this book changed my life. And so I truly felt um, that that book saved my life and thus Tony Robbins. And I started reading all his books and listening to all his CDs and everything made such perfect sense. It was simple, but it made such perfect sense. And the biggest thing was understanding that we, I am in charge of my experience of life, me. Life's not happening to me. It's how I'm reacting to the things that are happening that's going to determine my quality of life. And once I realize that life is up to me, you know, what I choose to create is up to me. You know, being afraid but choosing to do it anyway, that is up to me and that's what's gonna to lead to my success. Um, and then uh, just a few years ago in 2016, um, I got a phone call from Tony Robbins, uh, his company and they said we want you on our podcast and i thought oh who are you looking for is it marinda carfrey is it yvonne van blurken like who who do you want on your podcast and he said no we want you and i'm like me and i'm like oh my god like i was freaking out because i thought it's my opportunity to say thank you like this guy truly i felt saved my life and i've been my greatest mentor for so long so i ended up doing a podcast you all should listen um it ended up being his most downloaded podcast ever in the history of his podcast over, I think it's like two, two and a half million people. Um, so, and that started everything. And now I am have the absolute honor and privilege of, of speaking on his stage. Um, it's not the thrill of speaking on his stage. It's the opportunity to 
share my story, which I know can help free others from their suffering, from their struggles, from their anxiety, from their fear, it can help inspire them. And, and, you know, it's a true story of how the impossible dream really can come true. And, but it, it will be checkered with many failures and falling down and being disappointed and being faced with things that you don't like about yourself, but overcoming that to creating the life that you really dream of. So I am eternally grateful for Tony Robbins. I always will be. And it truly is um, such a gift to be able to share what I've learned from him and what I've learned through my own experience um, to help others truly find that joy and happiness and peace within themselves and their own lives. Now you mentioned your story, or your, in some respects, your own story has been written quite literally. Uh, tell us about surfacing. So I started writing this book in 2010, um, but as I was writing it, I I realized that I wasn't ready to share a lot of the things that I knew I needed to in order for this book to have an impact. I didn't want to write a book. I mean, who am I? Like, who wants to read about me? Like, it, it's not that I wanted, oh, I've got this tremendous story I need to share. I just knew that in sharing my story, that there would be so many people that would realize that they're not alone. And part of what brought me to the point in my life where I didn't know if I could stick around anymore is that I thought I was the only person that was going through these sorts of things. I truly didn't know that anybody else could be like, feel the way that I was feeling. So, um, but I wasn't ready to share a lot of the things um, that I knew would truly have that kind of an impact. So six years later, I picked it up again because I was ready. I was ready to talk about my OCD. I was ready to talk about my struggles of, of realizing I was gay and, and and ready to share every aspect of my story, knowing that it could truly make a difference for someone. It could inspire someone, it could whatever, free someone from what, what they're held back by. Um, so I'm really super proud of this book. I haven't been, I don't do book tours, I'm not promoting it all over the world, but what I do know is that everybody that has read it has really loved it, and I get a lot of really meaningful notes um, that that truly I'm so happy that I wrote it because I know that it has made a difference. And there is a lot of triathlon in here too. So those of you that just want like the nitty gritty and racing and mindset and all of that, it's all in here. I think you will love it. It, um, it goes by fast. So thank you, Emma Kate, for mentioning that. You bet. So one of the questions we have in from Instagram is uh, each week, how much high HIIT training uh, high intensity in interval training do you recommend versus low heart rate aerobic training? Um, again, totally individual. Um, we typically will have probably one day that's very focused on speed, um, one day where there'll be a speed aspect on the run off of a bike session, um, and also probably one or two days with threshold work done. Um, and then everything else is like strength work, aerobic work. Um, but again, it is totally unique to each individual. Um, I believe that in swimming, um, swimming up and down, back and forth, just nice and easy is not going to get you where you want to go. So we will almost nearly every day in the swim do some form of, of speed work or, or high intensity efforts, threshold efforts, um, at least I'd say three days out of the six days that we swim every week. And advice for improving your Ironman marathon? Ah, um, start with technique. Your, your form is everything. You know, technique under fatigue is everything. You can have great technique when you're fresh, but let's train you so that you can truly learn how to hold your technique when you're dying, okay? Because that's what it will be like in Kona. So working on your form, working on your cadence, working on your technique, working on your core strength, um, that's number one. You lay down a strong foundation and then you build upon that. Um, and that's doing all the right kind of work. Um, I definitely advise against doing your easy to hard because that means that when it's time to go hard and when it's time to do the sessions that are going to truly lift your performance, um, you won't have what you could have if you truly took 
the easy, easy. So for me, I always explain to my athletes, it's like in a hospital, if you see the EKG or whatever you call that machine, if there's a flat line, that is just not good news, okay? So if our training is basically like our easy is kind of hard and our hard is we're exhausted, so it's not that hard, you end up with a flat line, you're not gonna get the results you're looking for. So I keep it very much like a healthy EKG. Easy is super easy, hard is super hard, some bits in between, but it's a very, very healthy heartbeat of a line, um, which will lead to those performance gains that you're looking for. Practicing pacing, and most importantly, expanding your pain threshold. You've got to learn how when you want to back off and you want to stop because it's so uncomfortable, you got to hang on that little bit longer um, so that you can be expanding your pain threshold and make it so that what used to be uncomfortable for you is actually comfortable, which will happen, but you got to work it. And how do you help people expand their pain threshold? Is that something that you find for athletes need help with? Um, believe it or not, yes. I mean, you wouldn't think so because, geez, we're like, you know, gluttons for punishment going out there swimming, biking, and running. I would say that those who need it are the ones like, okay, if an athlete comes to me and they say, I want to win Kona, my, you know, what I will work to get out of them is going to be so much more than someone saying, I, I want to qualify for Kona. I'm going to put a lot on that person too. But the difference between wanting to go under nine hours or wanting to go 15 is, is going to be different pressure from me as your coach. Um, and I think that sometimes just to reach that next level, it can be a matter of who can suffer more. Um, and it doesn't mean like you need to batter yourself and beat yourself up. No, everything we do is smart. There's a reason behind everything I give my athletes when they train, but it's pushing through those uncomfortable moments. And this is also a metaphor for life. I mean, if you're in a relationship and you avoid fights, like fights, we get a better understanding of one another when we argue and we talk about what matters to me, what matters to you. Um, we have to get uncomfortable in order to break through to the next level, whether it's in triathlon or in life. And what do you see as the biggest differences between uh, coaching pros and introverts? Um, I have to do a lot of um, kind of uh, with pros, uh, they need to be reminded, they needed to be shown different perspectives a lot because we can get lost in, you know, that rhythm, that pressure, that expectation, and that's not a very healthy place to be. Um, age groupers, I think, because they have a lot of other things in their life, um, seem to have a better ability to just stay in a space where they're so grateful to be doing what they're doing. They just appreciate being able to have an hour to go train and to be their best. And so their hunger, I feel, even though they've got busier schedules, um, that excitement is kind of there more often because they feel so lucky to have the time to go pursue their dreams. Um, athletes can sometimes get buried a bit under the pressure of having to perform for your sponsors, for yourself, or whatever you believe. Um, so it's reminding them, helping them keep perspective. Like if you have a day off, and I was like this too as an athlete, I'd have a day off and I'd think that I lost everything. Oh my God, I'm so unfit. I have no strength. Oh my God, why'd you give me a day off? I've lost everything. And it's like, oh my God, you could have two weeks off. You're going to lose your feel and it's going to take a few days to feel good again, but you really will not have lost almost anything. So um, reminding them keeping perspective is super important, super important with the pros. Um, age groupers can also get carried away, but most of the time I just, I love their excitement. Um, I love every, I, I love all of them, um, but I feel like they sometimes have a better grip on perspective because they have to. Right. So tell us a little bit about your horse rescue <sighs> setup and Probably one of the most interesting questions I've seen come through is about asking you about the similarities between working with horses and athletes. Amazing. Thank you for that question because I have goosebumps right now. Um, I saved my first horse in 2016 and I didn't really understand why. Like I just, I, it was a random thing that I did, but once I had her, I knew exactly why I was meant to do this. 
because this horse challenged me and you know put me in a position like if you want to be the leader of a 2000 pound animal they need to trust you they need to have confidence in you you need to have confidence in yourself and you need to present with an energy where they want to work together with you and so they are very much energy animals they will respond to your energy and creating an amazing relationship with a horse is like creating an amazing relationship coach and athlete understanding that athlete under being able to show them that kind of energy is not going to get you where you want to go so the horse will tell me that my energy is not going to get me where i want to go if i show up and i'm all stressed and freaking out she'll just run away or if i try and ride her she'll try and buck me she'll tell me that this doesn't work for me and so you learn different ways of really feeling energy sensing energy and being able to work with that and turn it around um, they are incredible teachers of self-awareness um, they teach you leadership not only leadership of others but leadership of yourself and your own energy and your own behaviors um, and they force you to look within and it was after i rescued savannah you know she i had to get over so many fears I'm, i have a fear of height and she's huge so i mean that was number one um but getting over your fears and stepping into your greatness and when i say that we all have greatness we all have we are more powerful than you could ever imagine but we're sometimes afraid to think of like how powerful we can be but these animals almost force you to step into that it's necessary if you want to work together with them so it's been incredible, but basically after I rescued her, I thought, what am I rescuing her from? Like, why do horses need to be rescued? And this one day I looked it up on Google and this video came up and it was the slaughter process. And it was the most inhumane, torturous, despicable, horrifying thing I've ever seen. Basically, you know, they shoot the horse, but because their heads are so big, it takes six or seven minutes for them to die. But before they're even gone, they're already um, they're already dismembering them. All their friends are watching. It's it's horrific. It was, and I really I was not a horse person, but I saw this. I fell to the ground. I'd never been hit with emotion like that before, and I started bawling. And my wife Beck came running upstairs, and she's like, "Oh my God, what happened?" She thought somebody had died. She looked at the screen. She started watching the video and broke into tears and we looked at each other and without saying a word, we knew that our lives were going to change forever because our mission now is to, you know, first of all, end slaughter because these horses, they're healers, they're teachers, but also um, save as many as we possibly can. And um, it was an unexpected mission. We weren't planning on it, but it has invigorated every aspect of my life. Um, my coaching, I feel like I have so much of a better understanding of my athletes now because of my work with the horses and also knowing that the better job I can do coaching, the more horses I can save, basically. So when you have a deeper reason why your success matters, um, and that is because your success means the success of someone else that you're helping, or your success gives you the resources to be able to care for others. Um, it's an incredible power uh, that you add to your own personal mission. So Believe Ranch and Rescue, we are a nonprofit 501c3 based in Colorado. Um, we need all the support we can get. If you can find it in your heart, $1 helps. If we could get a thousand people to donate a dollar, that's a thousand dollars and that will feed our horses for two weeks. Um, our herd, we have 25 on our property. So every little bit helps. We would appreciate it so much. These horses that we save, we train them up and they go on to heal humans, kids with autism, uh, people with disabilities, uh, people struggling with addiction. These horses are healers. Um, help us save them. Help us save humans by helping us save these healers. Thank you guys. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Believe Ranch and Rescue. Awesome. So we've got time for one last question, which is from Jason Sturgis, and that's, are you planning on doing any triathlons in the near future? Me? Yeah. Oh my God, no. <laughs> no. No, please. Um, no. 
you know, when I retired, I was so ready to retire. I just wanted to now give back and help others um, go on this journey of discovery like I did. Um, that's all that matters. And I love to stay fit. I love taking care of myself, but I will leave that competitive racing to my athletes and um, stay healthy in other ways that don't have that kind of pressure. But thank you. I love it. And I love going to races. I love my coaching more than anything in the world. And watching you all get out there and do it is what inspires me. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Siri. I know you've helped uh, motivate a lot of people today and we've had a ton of questions. So uh, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Triathlete Magazine. You're amazing. And to all of you, good luck. Be brave, be you, and go make amazing things happen. Have it, Cam here again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, to join the club, head over to www.teamserioustriclub.com or to find out more about Triathlete Magazine, go to triathlete.com.